Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and he and I are recording the show on Friday, June 25th, 2021, which is the day after Conan ended its 11-year run on TBS. Did, did you watch any of the shows this week? Or Well, I kind of watched them piecemeal after the fact. Um, I was really hoping that uh, Will Forte's version of Ted Turner would come back uh, on the show one yeah. last time, but, you know... Did not happen. Uh, That's okay. I mean, That's I okay. did. This is a very, very funny man who got treated very, very poorly by NBC. And if you don't believe me, go pick up a copy of Bill Carter's great book, "The War for Late Night," when Leno went early and television went crazy. But that is a great book. Have you been watching the CNN uh, series, Jim? I have not. The story of late night. Mark Evanier, who does the great news from me site was talking about the fact that it's six hours long. And the problem is that when you're trying to tell the story of late night in six hours, there's a lot of stuff that falls off the table. Do they get into Steve Allen at all or, or Jack Parr or? Yes, they do. Okay. Yeah. Okay. They do. All right. It's worth watching, Jim. Okay. I, I, <laughs> in all of the available time I have, I will go check that out. But speaking of things you really, really need to check out, what I loved about this final week of, of Conan is it came time for Conan to do his exit interview from TBS. And so suddenly the show changes to animation and who comes in to do his exit interview, but, but Homer Simpsons, you can go to YouTube right now. It only takes you two minutes and 52 seconds to watch this thing, but it's so sweet. What I love about this piece of animation is Homer at one point actually talks about I've had a lot of jobs. One time I drove a monorail. And of course, he's referencing the, the Marge versus the monorail, which O'Brien actually wrote while he was over at The Simpsons. And in fact, that one was directed by our pal Richmore of Wreck-It Ralph and Zootopia fame. Well, speaking of, Jim, you know who actually did the animation for this little bit? No. Is our, our other buddy, mm -hmm. David Silverman. No. Who directed the uh, recent uh, Simpsons yeah. Star Wars short, amongst many other things. Co-directed uh, Monsters, Inc. with Pete Docter and many other amazing things. Yeah. So that's who animated it. Oh, that's killer. I have to admit, as an old, bald, fat guy, the fact that, that Conan, for his bonding moment with, with Homer, at one point lifts up what he reveals is a red wig, and he's got the same three hairs as Homer. So kind of a depressing way to begin the show. But but on the other hand, the big show, folks, big, big show. Uh, second half of this podcast, Drew and I get to talk with Editor extraordinaire David Bess and Shannon Mills from Skywalker Sound, the two very, very talented gentlemen behind uh, the hit Disney Plus series, Zenimation. By the way, we, we only got to do this interview thanks to Amy Astley over at Walt Disney Animation Studio, also our old pal from Disneyland, Aaron Glover. And have we ever done an interview that long before or... No. I mean, you and I talk for for a long time, and God knows it wears me down, Jim, but we have never uh, talked to anyone outside of our little circle before for that long. And I thought it was it was really great. I think that even if you haven't watched Zenimation, mm -hmm. you're going to learn a lot, and these guys are really wonderful mm -hmm. professionals. They kind of mix tech, the technical side of things with the artistic side mm -hmm. in a really lovely way, and I think you're going to really get a lot out of it. I think you and I did, right? As much as I loved the animation shorts beforehand, came away with a real appreciation for what it takes to pull these things together. 
But that's the second half of the show. But first, the news. And the news portion of today's show is brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. So the Jellystone trailer, what did you think? It seems to be the kind of thing that they were sort of trying to do with Scoob, but didn't quite pull off in terms of making it this crazy Hanna-Barbera world. Is that the impression you got too, Jim? This is coming from C.H. Greenblatt, the, the guy behind Chowder, which I loved. And it, it definitely has, yes. you know, definitely has a Chowder vibe. And also, again, I'm 62 years old. I watched these shows, Yogi Bear, Huckleberry Hound, all these things in real time. So to see these characters again, only <laughs> slightly brain damaged, I'm looking forward to this one. I'm not quite sure what's going on with Johnny Quest and Haji. We, we got a quick clip in there that was kind of interesting. Did we, over the course of the Venture Brothers, also touch on what happened to Johnny Quest? And I guess in that sphere, it didn't end well. But this drops on July 29th on HBO Max, right? Yeah, we will be watching it. Okay. Undoubtedly. Yeah, I'm very excited. Same thing here. Okay, now continuing our animated creatures we know but are now seeing in different ways theme tonight. Nickelodeon uh, recently released the official trailer for the SpongeBob spinoff, The Patrick Star Show. Did we see that? I didn't see that. I didn't see that trailer, Jim. How did this sneak by me? You were out in Palm Springs. It was 123 degrees. You were probably under something <laughs> seeking shade. That's true. There's a part of me that is like, let me get this straight. Patrick Starr gets a talk show, but Conan loses his. That ain't right, true. <laughs> but I liked what I saw with this. I mean, it's definitely in the Bikini Bottom world and Bill Farkenbach still just killing it as this character. Is Dana Snyder doing the, the grandfather or? Oh, I don't know. Okay. Jim, you know more about the Patrick Starr show than I'll ever know. You'll forget more <laughs> than I'll ever know. That's how much you know about this show. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, well, now I know you saw this trailer, but the Sing 2 trailer, what do we think? Uh, it looks very busy. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of new characters. Uh, a lot of Bono in there mm -hmm. playing a lion. Isn't he the lion, Jim? He is. He is. Having seen this trailer, you know, we have his entire backstory. We have tragic loss of his wife, which is preventing him from singing again. But you mentioned lots of new new characters. But for me, the, the weird part of it is Mina, the elephant character from uh, the first film, when I'm having a particularly bad day, I will go to YouTube and watch the, it was basically the end number of the film, the uh, the Stevie Wonder song, Don't You Worry About a Thing. It's a beautiful rendition. It's a great animated scene. A lot of fun. But she's barely in this trailer. So it's like the one who basically brought the thing home and you don't show anything of her or very little of her in the trailer. But again, I, I know there's an art to cutting trailers. You want to in infer and or you want to have stuff for the, the this is the teaser. We'll get the official trailer eventually. But I thought that was an interesting choice. And speaking of trailers, uh, a couple of shows back, you and I talked about Mamoru Hasado's Bell, the Beauty and the Beast meets social media and the internet, uh, and how it's being released to, in Japan next month. 
Did you see where G Kids has picked it up for North America? No, I'm very happy about that though. They always do a wonderful job. And more importantly, mm-hmm. they more often than not sneak an Oscar nomination in there for best animated feature. Yeah. Either uh I think they did uh one of the Cartoon Saloon movies got nominated when they were uh, distributing it. Mm-hmm. And so they've got a really good track record with that. So I'm hoping that it can get some cred at the end of the year too i don't have they set a release date yet no this was literally the announcement of they have made the deal it looks like we're looking into the fall before we'll see bell and again it's this weird space we have now where it's theater plus streaming so it'll be interesting to see how it filters out Speaking of things that get streamed, you said you you had heard something interesting about the uh, Infinity Train cancellation. So we had the three seasons and done, right? Uh, four seasons, Jim. The fourth four? season just aired in April. <gasps> yes, How did you co-host get... an animation podcast. I just want to remind you of that. <laughs> but, you know that I, I you know I diligently watched the first two seasons. And then the whole notion of changing out the character just it was one of these things where it's like, okay. And, and plus, didn't it go from, it went from Cartoon Network to Netflix? Or did it go Netflix to Cartoon Network? To HBO Max. There yeah. we go. All right. Yeah. That's the thing. It was just sort of like, yeah. I mean, I'm sorry, when, <laughs> when an animated series enters the witness protection program, <laughs> it's just sort of like, okay. <laughs> so basically... The creator of it, Mm -hmm. uh, who's from Regular Show, Mm -hmm. said that basically it was canceled because there was not a child entry point character. The characters are essentially getting too old because each season there would be an older character in the lead role, which doesn't really make a lot of sense considering we've seen stuff like that happen in Steven Universe and Adventure Time. But that's the reason that he says... uh, HBO Max gave him. So How? while there were plans for six seasons and a prequel and all this stuff, it looks like none of that is actually going to happen, which is sort of disappointing because I think it was a really strong, creative little project. When you have that conductor character, that sort of spider bot thing, likewise, the talking cat from a young kid's point of view, I won't say it was hugely accessible, you know, and the fact that you kind of had to watch all of the episodes of, of the season, you know, they were very linear, very connected. I mean, you were watching the numbers go down on the, the passengers wristband as they were trying to get off the train. But, well, that's such a shame. A weird part of covering any aspect of entertainment news these days is that virtually every press release when you, you see a show getting canceled is the next phrase is, and it's being shopped around. Right. Very few shows find new homes, but. Tuka and Birdie got canceled and we had to wait damn near a year before uh, Adult Swim picked that up. Right. So, all right. Well, here's open. Speaking of uh, Adult Swim, I guess we have to talk about the season five premiere of uh, Rick and Morty, the Mort Dinner Rick Andre, which I got to appreciate the, <laughs> the My Dinner with Andre joke there. What did you think? Uh, I thought it was really fun. It was just another fun, mm-hmm. you know, Rick and Morty episode. I thought Mr. Nimbus was a pretty hilarious uh, villain. Mm-hmm. This one is written by a guy, Jeff Loveness, mm-hmm. who is writ- who is writing Ant-Man in Quantumania. Mm-hmm. And I believe, uh, you know, is has become part of the 
the Marvel Studios family over there. So, you know, a lot of Rick and Morty graduates going over to, to Marvel Studios. Were we talking in the last show about how Loki, very, very Rick and Morty vibe going on there? And watching Mort Dinner Rick Andre, there, there was some very Avengers Endgame time travel energy going on there. And this is the first time I ever felt bad for Summer. By the end of the episode, she ran off like, I am a time god. You know, it's like, okay, that's going to be fun <laughs> at high school. Speaking of time, it really, if we're going to get to this this Disney's animation interview, Drew and I really need to get moving. So uh, we're going to jump to commercial quick, folks, and then come right back. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. And we're back, and we're now working the Disney side of the street. Did you see any of the news coming out of, of Annexy in regard to the new Disney shorts? I didn't see any of the news. I know some people saw it. We did not see it, we Jim. We have not seen it. <laughs> um, nope. You know, it would have been nice to, uh, uh, you know, watch that. But we'll we'll see it with Encanto in, in November. But I've heard it's wonderful. I mean, it's Natalie Norgit, who you and I both love, who did Exchange Student. She did. Right? And, and more to the point, she wrote that wonderful book, I Moved to Los Angeles to Work in Animation, from Boombox in January of 2019. I've literally been sending that out as graduation gifts because it's got such great info about people who are trying to get into this industry. But the name of the short is Far From the Tree, and it's Mother Raccoon dealing with kind of an obstinate little baby raccoon, and the stakes are kind of high because there are hungry coyotes nearby. So sounds like an interesting lead-in to Encanto. You think any of those raccoons uh, won't be able to get on the gantry? <laughs> My hand doesn't scan! <laughs> Okay. I, you know, my, I, it's so, <laughs> so interesting you say that because I'm sure you saw the same news this week about Scarlett Johansson signing the deal with Disney to make a Tower of Terror movie. I forget who it was yep. who tweeted to the effect of, good, okay, so when that's a hit, we'll get, they'll change back uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, Mission Breakout, and we'll get a Scarlett Johansson audio animatronic figure and it's like have you actually been nope. on this ride have you actually been on mission breakout because it's so much better than the californian version of tower of terror which was kind of done on the cheap yep. i don't get that <laughs> it's like you got a better ride why are you complaining i know it's not like bob chapek said i mean it's not like the 60 year old splash mountain you know you didn't get <laughs> rid of that classic and it's it was only what it opened in 2004 right so it you know it was only right. 15 years old when they closed it so it's like oof. oh speaking of disneyland resort related stuff did you see the images today of the backhoe in mickey's toontown heartbroken jim i love the gag factory i love that conveyor belt up there i it's so cool mm -hmm. it's such a testament of weird 90s Disney Imagineering power, and I am just very sad about the whole thing. But it's not like they tore out the uh, flagship attraction and uh, stuck the ride in there. Yeah. No one would ever do that, right, Jim? <laughs> Ooh. 
one of these moments that just sets up a beautiful segue. I mean, sometimes you have to take things apart in order to get great new things. I mean, think about it. Yes, we're losing the McDacme bag uh, gag factory, but on the other hand, Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway is an is an amazing attraction. I mean, it just is an absolutely killer thing. People are going to really enjoy that. And and again, Zenimation does the same thing. I mean, they take films that we love and you know already know you know seven you know and some of them going in all the way back to the thirties and you know, Snow White, Pinocchio, and take take them apart and manage then to reassemble them into something genuinely special thanks to great editing choices and amazing sound beds and as i i mentioned earlier uh you know drew and i were lucky enough earlier this week to get a chance to talk with the two gentlemen behind this project shannon mills you're with skywalker sound and and creates the incredible sound beds and we have david bess the general actually came up with the idea is that correct yeah i guess so (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Can can we talk a little bit about the origin of the project? I love everything about these, how they give you a renewed appreciation of Disney animation. But what was the inciting event? Well, first of all, thanks for having us, Jim. I have to say, I have learned so much from everything that you've uh, written about and actually learned more about the company, probably from what you said, than actually working there. So it's really great. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, I got the idea for this when um, I was tasked to come up with some videos for the D23 Expo a few years ago. And as you probably know, Walt Disney Animation Studios has a uh, exhibit or a booth on the on the exhibit floor. And there are some monitors where we usually play trailers and TV spots and sizzle pieces and things like that. And... I wanted to come up with something that was maybe somewhat more relaxing, something that people could just sit down, take a breath, take a moment, and just kind of chill. And the other thing is I'm always kind of looking for, you know, opportunities to showcase clips from our films, from Mm -hmm. the whole legacy of Walt Disney Animation films. So I just started looking through the films, uh, particularly the more recent films, starting from Bolt and then going uh, going up until I think at that time our latest or I think our newest film was probably Frozen Two, I think. But anyway, uh, and I just started looking for clips that had our characters either taking in the scenery around them or just kind of uh, enjoying a natural setting being kind of peaceful, being mindful basically about, about their surroundings and their setting. And then uh, that was, yeah, that was basically how it started. Shannon, how did you enter the equation then? I mean, did, did you, David, reach out and, and bring him in or did you create one of these pieces and think, Ooh, this would be so much better with a, a new sound bed or, or how did that work? Well, uh, maybe a combination of those things. I was, mm-hmm. uh, I think I was in the, office at the time with Bernice Robinson, our, our post person. And um, uh, we stopped by to talk to David while he was working on the first cuts of Zenimation one. Mm-hmm. And so he and I met and he showed us uh, one of the pieces he was working on. And then we just kind of, you know, started working on it from there, basically. Well, how, how did it go from a presentation in the D23 booth to two seasons on Disney Plus? I think that also, you know, we need to know that 
that connective <laughs> tissue as well. That's a good question. That is a huge thanks to Amy Astley, our producer. She really liked what we had done with it at D23. At D23 Expo, it was basically just single clips. It was like, okay, here's a scene from Frozen 1 where the main characters are walking through that wintry snowscape and just taking it all in. And that was all we would show. And then we would, there'd be other stuff, other trailers or TV spots. And then we'd show another, another clip. So Amy suggested, I think to someone at Disney plus, if they would be interested in something like this and they were, and then they came back to me and said, well, see if you can maybe put these clips together in some way that it could be more in a short series form. And so that's kind of when we started putting, looking for subjects and looking for ways to link all these different clips together, kind of by a heading or, or a subject. And I guess the other thing we should probably mention too, that, that definitely um, Shannon, my gosh, we're just so grateful for his help on this because one of the things too, is we wanted to strip out the music and pick scenes that really didn't have dialogue. So all you're really hearing are the, the sound effects. And that's kind of the focus in conjunction with what you're seeing. And um, we were able to mostly use sources of the future films that had separate sound effect stems. So we could literally turn off the music and the dialogue. But for some of the older films, some of the films going back into the 80s, 70s, and then even earlier, we didn't have that necessarily. So um, that was where Shannon got an opportunity to really do some cool stuff. I'll let you talk more about that, Shannon. But These days, we, we're very careful about uh, when we finish a film, we go through the archival and we make sure we have the sound effects by themselves, the music by themselves, and the dialogue by themselves, should we ever need it for something that comes up. But way back, they weren't always doing that or they didn't always have time to do that. So there were certain older projects where David might have cut in his track. He would have, you know, the music and the sound effects together, but we didn't want to use the music for this particular project because, you know, it's kind of a, a meditative um, sound project. So we tried to recreate the sound of the film by listening to these, you know, the old tracks. And in some cases, there, there wasn't any sound there, but, but we wanted there to be because um, when we're mixing these film projects, for instance, if the music is supposed to take you in that moment, the mixer might say, oh, well, I don't want to hear footsteps or ambience here. We're going to just go with the music and he'll turn all the sound effects down, right? Mm -hmm. Which is great in the context of the film. But in the context of a project like this, we may want to hear those things. So in some cases, we, we had to recreate things that maybe you didn't hear in the, the actual film, but were there and taken out for other reasons. What's absolutely magical about these things is when you think about how much of, you know, you associate with Disney films, the music, you see an image and this the song immediately comes to mind and what you've done here where you've stripped out the music it's almost kind of stunning sometimes about how powerful these things are just with the imagery and the sound bed that, that in a weird way they're almost more powerful than they were with the music but at the same time it it, it allows you to focus in on the artistry and, it, and at the same time some of these sound beds are so ridiculously you know enveloping you know you, you just sort of like you know 
like, holy cow. Now, how does it start for the first set? So the first set of animations, you have things like uh, water and water realms. I mean, so did you just start, okay, that clip might work. This clip might work. Did you, you build a pile and then find the theme or was it the theme and then go looking at the clips? It's a little bit of both actually, but I think initially, especially for that first set of, of episodes we did, I just started looking through, I just started pouring through the films. I mean, I started by trying to find clips from memory and, and focusing on those, you know, I think like that one from frozen one where the characters just before they meet Olaf. Right. And they're just taking in the beauty of that snowscape. That was one that came to mind where I thought, wow, these characters are truly being mindful and, and truly living in the moment and appreciating their surroundings. And there was no dialogue, right? And another scene that I knew right away I wanted to use was from Big Hero 6, when Baymax and Hero, after having that fantastic, victorious flight through San Francisco, they end up on top of that... Um, what is it? It's like a, it's like a blimp kind of a, a yeah. air filter thing. I think um, you can probably speak a lot better to that, but they're, <laughs> they're, they're sitting on that and just watching the sunset. Right. And just taking in the sunset and hero does that little thing with his feet. Baymax notices it does the same thing. Right. Just moments like that. I just thought, <laughs> Oh, that's the kind of stuff I want to use. But then once I found those kind of moments, I just started trying to just scan through the films as much as I could and just started putting them kind of into different little subjects or buckets i guess according to what was going on and then after that tried to find those connective links editorially to go from clip to clip that would hopefully kind of make them have some sort of some sort of a visual through line somewhat mm -hmm. and then of course Shannon helped a lot with that sound effects wise where if i had a kind of a janky cut sometimes i know shannon you would be able to blend the sound effects together so they'd be a smoother transition yeah, we, we, we tried to make, you know, even though they're all different films, we tried to sort of glue them together and into a relaxing experience, you know, to to give them a through line, as David was saying, both visually and with the audio. Was any clip too obscure? Because obviously Jim and I are, you know, are, are like, where is that? Where is that raindrop from? Where that rabbit? I swear that rabbit was from. You know, so we we are doing this constantly as these new episodes are coming out. So, is there anything that was too obscure that somebody said? You know, I don't even know where this came from. It's not going to be in in this animation project. <laughs> That's funny. It made me think of when our producer Amy Astley, mm -hmm. she <clears throat> excuse me, she took on the task of making a list of all the shots that we use in each episode. And that was to just make sure that, you know, we had every, everything, you know, in order and all that, and that there weren't any issues with clearances or anything. And um, there were a couple, I remember where she asked me like, what is that from? But to her credit, she got almost like 99% of the, of, of all the shots and even the more obscure ones to your point. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think most of them are pretty recognizable. I know for this for this second season, we have a few from from the um, well. You guys could probably I'm not sure what the actual term is, but the sort of World War II era compilation films. We have a few shots from those that I feel like are are kind those of are obscure. called package films, David. Those are package, package films. films. There we go. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, the the other great thing about this this new season for 
folks like Jim and I, who have obviously very little going on in our social lives, uh, that you have footage from the Raya kind of like test footage almost from D20, <laughs> like maybe one or two D23s ago. And so can you talk about incorporating that and where it came from and, you know, that whole experience? Because it's really cool to see after all these years that stuff. Yeah, I'm so glad you... There. Yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned that, Drew. That's really cool. I, I mean, when I first saw that footage at the at the Expo Two, I just it just looked so amazing, and I always thought, oh, it's just too bad that it can't be used somewhere else. And it it wasn't gonna. We knew it wasn't gonna be in the movie. So yeah, I just I remember. Well, I think part of it was we were one of the episodes was rain, and we were looking for scenes from all the films that had that. And then I remembered that footage particularly because. As you recall, the pace is slower, the shots really breathe, it really takes time. And of course, I think part of the reason the filmmakers did that with that sequence is that that was the first footage anyone was seeing for that movie, right? So of course, you want to really give the viewer time to soak in the environment. Um, and and it's just, yeah, and not only was it just great to see it again and, and to be able to uh, let other people see it, but... Uh, it fit perfectly, I think, within that within that theme. Yeah, it's a really special moment um, in that little bit. Yeah, it, it's really really wonderful to see again. And and, and that and that shot, which you guys, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say just say that that one shot which, that you guys have seen, of course, I'm sure. But mm -hmm. there's that close up of of Raya's foot in the mud, and then it just takes off. And mm -hmm. I just, I mean, it's just so stunning. You know, it just it's just amazing. What's interesting to me is to watch from season one to season two, the increase in sophistication and the deeper dives. I mean, for example, which of the water ones is it where you pull the the fish out of Fantasia, out of the uh, the Nutcracker Suite? They, and it's one of these, where I, I think that was one of the ones Drew and I were talking about. It's like, where did those fish come from? And it's like, oh my God, Fantasia. But they those images were so previously married to that music to see them alone as pieces of animation and then with the amazing sound that the Shannon laid under it and it's just sort of like you just look at these things and i've never seen this before and it's like no i've only seen that film 15 times now and but but you guys made it new uh, one of the things we did for um scenes like that you know where music is such a, a large part and in certain cases we didn't have sounds was um we had the uh jimmy mcdonald library uh, sound effects library from Disney, which uh, Gabe Guy uh, works in sound at Disney. He's spent a lot of time restoring that library and digitizing it from all the old tapes. So when we started uh, season two, uh, I had that library and I, I relied on that a lot to, um, to bring that older sound mm -hmm. to the older pieces and the older clips so that it wasn't sounding out of place and modern, you know, on, on some of the older clips. And that was a really fun thing to do, to go through that library with so much history and, and, and hear all those sounds um, that they recorded back then. Were there any guiding principles on that? Because, I mean, there have been some really catastrophic sort of like sound effect bungles in, in my lifetime. I remember the first time they put uh, Jaws on DVD. Do you remember that? And they, they put in new sound effects for the entire movie and it was just a disaster. What, <laughs> uh, 
besides looking at the kind of archival stuff, was there kind of a guiding principle that you and David talked about in terms of sound effects and how to find them and how to, to use them? I guess taste was the main. <laughs> that <laughs> the cannot main be, that cannot be, you know, uh, disqualified, you know, yeah. that's, that's and, great. And uh, again, our producer, Amy Astley has a really keen ear for the period films as well. And, and she was great um, because uh, she would hear what I had done and she would have a reaction immediately if it, if it was sounding too modern or if it was sounding too full or, you know, not of the era. And so she was a good baseline for that sort of thing, as well as David, I think. And, and using the, the guides that David provided, you know, even though they had music in them, I could still kind of hear what was intended. There are some of these where they span 70 years of film and yet they're a continuous mood. I mean, again, you, you sit down and this, you know, watch these things and this feeling just sort of washes over you of, of tranquility and the, the images blend. I mean, I, again, that's the thing that so impresses me is like when you line up, you know, Fantasia's fish with Little Mermaid and it's like, and you buy it. It's not a question of these were made decades apart. It's all a continuous whole. And that to me is, is half of what's so impressive about these. I think that's really, and I'm sure you guys would agree. I think that's kind of a testament to, to kind of the artistry of Disney animation from the very beginning. I mean, from Snow White up until the present. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you think about the artists that have been there throughout the years and, and, you know, from the beginning to now, all these different generations of artists who have tried to keep, I guess you would say they've tried to keep the integrity of, mm -hmm. of Disney animation intact and consistent and while yet building on it and always trying new things and expanding it. But yeah, I think that I felt the same thing, Jim, you know, going through those clips and just compiling stuff and looking for those common links it's the same thing that I, that I, that I felt too. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Looking at how the, I guess for lack of a better word, the consistency of artistry and just the, the, the care and the craftsmanship that these artists, and that goes to the sound too, of course. And the, and the technicians behind, behind these films too, is just that, that care, that, that, that attention to detail. And to me, that's part of why those things, even though, like you said, you could have something as old as Fantasia, juxtaposed with something uh, as recent as Little Mermaid, and yet it just feels right. And, mm -hmm. and again, I think that also is a testament to, to the sound design and to what you did, Shannon, too, in terms of bridging those together. Was there any problem with the different uh, sort of film stocks and the aspect ratios that all these things were in? I think there's, you, you can tell me the exact number, but there are at least four different <laughs> aspect ratios represented, right? I love that you asked that question. <laughs> I am a geek about uh, aspect ratios. <laughs> oh, I don't know yeah. why, but it just fascinates me. <laughs> yeah, me, me too. Jim can tell you that as well, uh, <laughs> that I am obsessed with aspect ratios. But did that, what, did that sort of factor into the design of these things? And did it give you any problems when putting these together? It did sometimes. And, I, and you know, sometimes Amy did mention a few times where she felt like it was a little jarring if there was a hard cut from one aspect ratio to another. And I think there are some places where it's hard to describe. I guess, I think there are some places, to be honest, where it is just a little jarring and there's just nothing you can do about it. At one point I thought, well, should we blow up, you know, or shrink down stuff so that it all fits within a, 
16 by nine frame. And I even tried that on some of the first episodes and it just, I just felt like it was compromising the integrity of the original image. And, you know, you think, gosh, these artists put so much work into creating every, every little inch of that frame. I don't want to crop any of it off. I don't want to, I want to show it as it was intended to be shown. So that's kind of why we decided to just keep it all in a cinemascope frame. And if it's a, if it's a, a narrower aspect ratio, then you'll have those pillar boxes on the side. There were a few times where we tried to do some little tricks to go from one aspect ratio to another. Like I think there's a wipe in, um, I think it's the Everyday Comforts episode this time, where there's a shot from Raya where two people have a, a, some sort of piece of cloth and, and in the original film, they use it as a transition to go from shot to shot. So I use that for the same thing. I transitioned from that into a, I think it was a 1.85 aspect ratio of uh, Winnie the Pooh. So any little tricks like that, I think, you know, I like to help. But thank you for asking that question. It's one of my of favorite course. things. <laughs> <laughs> Initially, you know, you, you do these these clips for the D23 in 2019, and Amy somehow gets this green light to go to Disney+. Plus. This is all about something that's going to de-stress people and, and take them out of a stressful environment. And, you know, and talk about the cavalry coming over the hill. This thing arrives in May of 2020. We are two months into the pandemic. Everyone is as stressed out as they could possibly be. And here comes this wonderful, you know, Zenimation stuff. I'm, I mean, I, I have to ask that there have to be mental health professionals out there that are like, you know, look, go home, watch these. All right. And then, then come back and talk to me. I mean, have you heard from any of those folks or... Boy, that's a really good question. I wish Amy was here. She could probably answer that better. Uh, do you know, Shannon? I, I, I wish I could say, I know there've been, I know we've heard really a lot of great feedback from, mm. from people just in general. Um, yeah. But I don't know about actual. I, I, I don't know about actual stories, but I will say that it was very interesting, the timing. And it seemed like it was, uh, David could speak better, but it seemed like it was just totally random, but it was very relaxing and meditative for me and I think a lot of other people who are working on it because a lot of my work just disappeared when that happened you know because theaters closed everything closed but this was going on a streaming format and we were able to work on this you know from home and and, and create this and so personally for me I found it very beneficial from that perspective on the other end of the spectrum was there any sort of corporate demand like, well, you could put in a few more shots from Raya. <laughs> we got that. That's a big priority. You don't want your legs broke, Mr. Bess. That kind of thing. Constantly, constantly. Okay. No, well, okay. No, no. I mean, of course, Raya was just about to, actually, I think it already had come out. It already had come out. That's right. Of course, we wanted to, to give a little attention to Raya. I mean, especially because the animation in that movie is so gorgeous. The sound design is so rich. And I think uh, just, yeah, timing wise, it just made sense. But yeah, it, uh, no, there was no, actually nobody ever literally said it. I think it was almost like an obvious thing. Like, well, of course we would show, you know, footage from this film. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I know I don't know how much you can say about future installments of Zenimation. Obviously, Jim and I would love future installments, and doing a show weekly with Jim requires a lot of de-stressing on my part. So I I actually need more episodes. But um, have you talked about you know incorporate? Obviously, Encanto is coming out in a few months. Incorporating elements from these upcoming Disney projects. Uh, Shannon, aren't you working on Encanto? I am working on Encanto, actually. Yeah. So, you know, as you're working, it's like, are you already starting a pile? Like, well, that one would be good. Well, that one would be good. You know, well, you know, I might float some ideas over to David and see what he thinks. (laughs) So first set of these come out in in May of 2020. And what I thought was interesting, was it like a month in where suddenly Disney Plus is like, hey, We've just put all these together in one 45-minute long reel. If, again, you're sitting at home really, really stressed. You can put this on in the background. As that was happening, did you guys get a sense that maybe they want to do another season of this? I'm sorry, Jim. You're, you're, you're talking about the, the first the first time or the first season? Well, yeah. That, that, well, I, as I understood it, they they took the, the, the first set of 10 and then made a decision a few weeks after they, they debuted on Disney Plus that they'd, they'd link them all together, make one continuous. And then sometime after that, it's like, oh, and we're going to need more of these, by the way. I honestly, I really don't know uh, the, the behind the scenes as to, when in, as to what went into that decision. That's a really good question. Other than just that they were really happy with the first time around and... Uh, I really do you know Shannon? I really well. I, I can't remember exactly what Amy said, but I think it was the most watched program on Disney Plus, right? Wasn't it at a certain point for like? Well, take that, <laughs> Mandalorian! I I I don't. I mean, that would be great. I'm a little hesitant to actually. I can't remember what she said, but it, it was. She, she may have said that, but I would, yeah, she may have said that just out of to to make us feel good. I don't know, no, I don't know if that really. I, I honestly, I don't know if that's really true. I I hope it is. That would, that's amazing if it is. But I actually I've never seen any numbers on that, so I don't know. But but hopefully, yeah. <laughs> As we move into the second set, did you find with the second go round it was easier to identify the sorts of clips that would work? Or was it now harder to find stuff because you've already gone to the well and taken the good stuff? A little bit of a, of the latter there. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, though, I mean, in some ways, yes, because the, it was a little harder in the sense that I feel for that first season, we really pulled out, like, like I had said earlier, kind of those, those just kind of obvious scenes that come to mind where you think, oh, this would be great. Or, or for example, like, like we took, you know, uh, in the first season, we took the opening of Little Mermaid, where you usually see the the opening title sequence, and we we found a a version of that that didn't have the title. So, and we just let that thing play out, right? It just plays, and you just kind of get a soak in that moment. We I feel like we kind of used a lot of those sort of really big money moments in the first season, and then in the second season, yes, it was a little more of a challenge to think, okay, we have to we have to dig a little deeper and go back a little bit farther, and also maybe just uh, be more open-minded as to uh, what kind of shots could work in this kind of a Zen mindfulness kind of a atmosphere. And, but I think what was surprising too, was really going back even further beyond the Renaissance films with the, with the, you know, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Lion King. Definitely we found more in there, but going back even earlier than that to Snow White, Fantasia, 
the package films. Yeah, it was really cool to just see, gosh, there's so much. It's just, it's just a treasure trove, right? So it took a little more work, but I think, and I, you know, fingers crossed that they want another season. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, I think there's plenty more to, to explore. Did you discover some moment or scene that you either hadn't seen before or had forgotten about and kind of got to rediscover through this process? Uh, well, speaking of the, of the package films, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was Make Mine Music that has the scene from Blue Bayou? Yes, yeah. The thing that was originally supposed to be in Fantasia, the, the one that they had animated and was ready to go, and then Fantasia didn't happen. And so it's like, okay, we'll do this with contemporary music. Well, so, and so you guys know, I mean, that, that the animation in that sequence of that, you know, just the multiplane camera work in there. Oh, it's stunning. And, and I, that was one that for me in particular was a real treat to just look at again. And, and I had seen it years and years ago, I remember, but kind of stumbled upon it again and thought, Oh, this is perfect. I mean, I felt like you could take just that whole segment of that film and just let it play out. I mean, of course it's, you know, and I think it's a reminder too, you know, when you see that scene and a lot of these scenes, as they were originally designed with music and, and with the whole mix behind them, there's no denying they are masterpiece quality, right? They are just, just amazing. Um, it's like the, the opening of Lion King, you know, um, when you, uh, when you hear circle of life with that, it's, it's perfect. It just works perfectly. So it's not to say that taking the music away, suddenly it's, it's better. It's not that at all. It's just, it's just a different way of looking at it. You know, it's just a different way of experiencing something that, that we've, that we've seen and loved in these films, if that makes any sense. Well, no, no, I would argue that in fact, one of my favorite clips that you used this time around was the stuff that you pulled from the very, very beginning of Fox and the Hound with like mm-hmm. the spider web glistening. And everyone thinks that that is kind of lesser catalog stuff, Disney, but you look at it and the artistry of that moment where it sets you in that moment and the sound bed that you guys created for that to, to allow you to really focus in on that. I mean, that was amazing, but it was like, I'm looking at this thing. What is this? It's like, Oh my God, that's Fox and the Hound. Holy crud. Yeah, that's a great example too. Absolutely, absolutely. And I feel like there's actually a, a lot more. Oh my goodness, um, I'm just thinking of other other scenes are coming to mind like that. Uh, the opening of Rescuers, um, when that little bug crawls up on the blade of grass. You know, I just I, yeah. There's something about seeing them in a separate context with the music off and with really wonderful, rich sound design. That uh, yeah, it's almost like it. I don't know, Shannon, maybe you have a comment on this. I don't know if I can quite describe it. Gabe Guy and I were talking about this once and he did a, he, he kind of explained it as if when you see one of these scenes with music, you observe it in such a way where it's almost as if you're, you're standing back a little bit and taking it in maybe, but without the music and with just sound effects, it's, it's more like you're in that moment. I, I, can't, I can't do it justice. I can't, I don't know if that makes any sense, but. It feels more realistic, sort of, with when, when the music's not playing. It's, it's more picturesque when with the music, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shannon, was there ever a time where you said, 
I can't pull the music out. The music is too perfect. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm not messing with, you know, 75 years of animated history. Bess, you're on your own. Did, I mean, was there ever was there ever a moment like that where it was really hard for you to kind of separate that that out? Not really, because, you know, most of the time he didn't give me a choice. There was no music. <laughs> so I, I had to do something. You had to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, uh, David. Do you remember what was the Brother Bear, where oh. we had to do we had to do a fair amount of reconstruction on that? I think with them splashing yeah. in the puddles. Yeah, the Phil, Phil Collins the songs for those. I think yeah. Right. yeah, a lot of those scenes have. I think you mostly <laughs> just hear his music. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. we we had to to really uh, work on those and, and and you know dig to to unearth some of the the stuff that we needed because it, it was such a music moment. One of the things that we all love about the Disney films is in a weird sort of way, the music tells you the emotion you're supposed to be feeling, which the visual then reinforces. And But what's great about those animations is you strip at the music and you get to decide how you feel. It's hard to preserve a mood over six or seven minutes, but you guys did that time and time and time again, especially this time around. What I'm, I'm fascinated is that, you know, you, you did in the first set things like flight, but for the second set, we got things like everyday comfort and kindness where those are really feelings as opposed to locales. And, you know, the fact that you're able to pull together a set of clips that that reinforced that, you know, I mean, you know, and, and told that story. Uh, really, really impressive work. Thank you. That's that's really that means a lot. That really means a lot coming from you, and appreciate that. Yeah, I think again, I think that's a huge uh, credit to Shannon and and what he did to to you know kind of make a soundscape that basically takes you through all those varied clips and all those varied uh, genres. Um, for sure. Um, and, yeah, one of my favorite ones from this season was uh, Transformations, which was just kind of like a highlight reel of some of the best sound design, you know, that's that's ever hit the screen, certainly in, you know, in animation or in any uh, genre, really. So it was really cool to to feature all of that stuff, all that sound design in that episode. It was really fun. Do you have some scenes earmarked, David? Give us give us one scene that if there is a season three, God willing, you would want to include and bonus points if this scene involves the three caballeros. So that's just the, <laughs> oh, good the luck. that's the groundwork. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, those films are so cool. Oh, that would wouldn't that be fun? I I love that would be great. That'd be great. Mm. Well, and you know, I've got a ton of clips that we didn't use that I pulled. I mean, just tons and tons, of, as you can imagine. That's a good question. I, off the top of my head, nothing's popping into my head other than I would just love to dive more into the older films. The ones you mentioned, mm -hmm. uh, the package films for sure. Uh, you know, I think Fantasia and Fantasia 2000, my goodness. I mean, just so much incredible animation in there that I think lends itself to, to, to this kind of a, to this kind of a, uh, you know, a package or not a package, but you know, that, to the whole Zen mindful kind of thing. But I, you know, it, I, I, at the same time, I think it's tricky because, you know, with a film like Fantasia talk about a film that 
music is so integral, right? I mean, man, that's all there is in those films, right? It's music and animation, period. But um, I think as long as we can stay respectful of the, uh, of the integrity of the animation and what was intended for those, as long as we can just uh, do it tastefully, I would love to, to show more shots from those two films in particular. Yeah. Do you, did you find yourself ever consulting with uh, other people at Walt Disney Animation Studios? Because obviously you weren't in the same room with them due to the way that this was assembled. But, you know, you have people like Eric or Mark or, you know, I know that Mike just left, but he is obviously very accessible. And, and what's amazing about these, these people is that they are legendary animators who also have an insane knowledge of the history of Walt Disney Animation. So was there ever you tapping any of them for, listen, guys, I need a turtle on a rock. Give me, you know, your best shot or whatever, you know, but they, they have an encyclopedic knowledge of that. And also the process and the technique that it took to brought, bring these things to life. So I imagine they would be an asset and a resource during this process. Actually, yes. And well, actually, you know, I have to say Amy Astley again, our producer, she actually has, I would call it an encyclopedic knowledge of these films. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, she, only there were only just a few shots that were from some of the older films where she wasn't sure where they were from. So I actually talked to her a lot and she actually watched a lot of the older films and would email me suggestions of clips to use and stuff like that. I think partly because of the, the fact that we were in the middle of the pandemic, I, I was a little hesitant, I suppose, to reach out more than that. But, you know, certainly if there's another season, by all means, and that would be a great excuse to talk to some of these legendary animators too. I mean, any, any excuse to talk to them and pick their brain. Yeah, for sure. It's a good idea. Shannon, the only thing that Disney plus had that almost impressed me as much animation was that new star Wars planet series, uh, you know, that they did with the sort of the, the biomes, Jim, it's called star Wars biomes, biomes uh, star Wars biomes. <laughs> um, those had sound beds that were almost as crazy as the stuff that was done for his animation. Did you have anything to do with that project or sadly I did not. <laughs> okay. But uh, uh, I'm sure. I know the people that did, but mm -hmm. I didn't work on that one. No, they were amazing as well, but had that, that, that same, you know, Skywalker sound level of, of crazy, crazy quality. You know, so awesome. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, guys, so enjoyed this series. And, and as Mr. Taylor said, you know, really, really hoping for uh, as animation three, but at the same time, you know, kind of feel for you, <laughs> Dave, about that's going to be an interesting set of hoops to jump through to find additional material and, and that sort of thing. But can't wait to see what you do here. Thanks again. That this this was an amazing project, and then thanks also to to Amy Astley for championing it. And thanks again for making the time today. Yeah, thank you guys. Thank On you. to more more aspect ratio changes in volume yes. three, David. I'm looking forward to it. Yes, thank you. I love that. <laughs> thank you guys. Thanks for having us. What a treat. Uh, I don't know. Appreciate it. We should have leaned on Shannon more about Encanto, though. And by the way, where's the trailer for that film? Great question, Jim. I mean, time is a ticking. Yeah. I imagine it would have been attached to Luca had Luca been a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you, since I saw it uh, in the theater last week, there was no Encanto trailer of any kind. So did it? Uh, yeah, we haven't seen doodly squat from this movie. That is strange because that's <laughs> November, right? And 
the Sing 2 trailer that we were talking about earlier in the show, that debuts a full month after Encanto. That's arriving December 22nd. So I don't know what's going on here. But what I do know is it's going on here because you mentioned it on Twitter. I saw this. Finally, 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 the Brian De Palma interviews that you did for your Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse. It's the first one that's available right now. Yes, the first one is out now. Jim, you're going to have to listen to it when you're done with all of your Disneyana mm-hmm. stuff this weekend. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's pretty it's pretty great. We'll have part two next week, and then we're rolling back into some Light the Wick stuff. And it's, we're having a good little little spree here, so definitely keep keep listening. Drew gets so many amazing people on Light the Fuse, and more to the point, gets them to tell so many great stories about not just the Mission Impossible or the the John Wick films that they've worked on, but just De Palma runs the gamut, right? I mean, how, where do you actually start off with him? We start off with the novel, which is now in, which is going to be in That's paperback right. on Tuesday. That's right. Um, okay. Which you should definitely pick that up, Jim. It's a lot of fun. And um, it's interesting that it's going to be on paperback the same day as Tarantino's debut paperback of uh, the Once Upon a Time in, in Hollywood novelization, since Tarantino owes so many things to, to Brian De Palma. But we talk about the book. We talk about his feelings on Mission Impossible 2. Mm-hmm. And w- next week is more of a grab bag where we're talking about, you know, sequels to The Untouchables mm-hmm. and all sorts of craziness. Mission to Mars, that's when uh, that talk comes into play. Snake Eyes. I mean, it, it, we run the gamut. So, yeah, definitely check these two out. Very cool. Can't wait. Okay. And if they're looking for you, Drew, where will they find you? Uh, you can find me at Drew Tailored, like a tailored shirt, uh, on Twitter and Instagram. But Jim, more importantly, where can they find you on Twitter? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram as Jim Hill Media and on Facebook as Jim Hill Media News. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be back soon.